Okay, so again, we're wrapping up our series here for you, and it's been a summer series. It started with our AGM, uh, understanding that God is here for us. And why is it that sometimes we feel that dissonance or that disconnect with God when this whole scripture, it keeps talking and reminding us over and over again that God is here for us. This, this is a reminder that we see throughout all the expanse of the scriptures that we have. God keeps saying words like, if God is for us, who can be against us? He is here for us, as Paul writes in Romans 8. Also, God, he says, I will always go before you, he says, and I will be with you. Never, uh, God says, will I leave you nor forsake you. So you never have to be afraid of what's in front of you, what has been behind you, or discouraged about what kind of circumstances your life is currently experiencing. The promise that God gives, no matter how dark our world may become and how uh, how much of a challenge we may be going through, he promises, I'm always with you. That's the promise that he gave in Deuteronomy 31 before they were about to take the promised land and before they learned about their... Uh, they learned that their life was going to be self-sustaining now. They would have all the fruit of the land that they needed. They wouldn't be wandering in a desert place anymore. They'd be able to uh, establish their own economy, their own livelihoods. And God says, in the midst of your busyness and doing all of this, remember, I'm with you. And the proneness of our heart is always to wander away from God and do our own things. That's what we've always been prone to do since Adam and Eve that we want to be our own God, that we want to control our own life the way that we see fit out of our own understanding of what is good and what is evil for our life. And this is the, this is the law that God gives. He says, as you do that, you will stumble. You will feel discouraged. You will feel these challenges come into your life. But God reminds his people, even though you stray, even though you part company with me and you kind of lose your way a little bit, he says, no matter how dark, no matter how bad, I am always with you. He makes that promise. We also see in Psalm, uh, in Psalm, um, in, um, in Isaiah 49, 6, God reminds his own people as they were straying and as they were living their own life and following other gods and other idols, he says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. I can never forget you. So no matter how much our lives are given over to other things and how much undeserving we may feel when we come back to God and we kind of feel sheepish of thinking, would God really hear my prayer? Would God really listen to me when I haven't really been caring about him or wanting to spend time with him? And now that my life is hard, now I come back to him and I expect God to give me grace. He says, yes, because you are my daughter, because you are my son. Your names are engraved upon my hand. In other words, he says, I am your father. Of course, any time in your life that you do that, you never have to try to make an excuse or earn your way back to me. God, our father says, that's my job. I will make sure the path is always open and the door is always open so you can come back anytime that you want. God is always here for us. And once we've tasted and seen that, once we've experienced that, we can't help as followers of Jesus Christ to want to do the same, to want to be the same for people around us. It's when we stray from that, we as a community or as a church, we get very judgmental. 
right? We feel like, we feel like saying, I'm doing my part, but you're not doing yours, right? I'm carrying my weight, but you're not carrying your weight. And we begin to judge others based on works when we have forgotten it is based on grace that we have everything that we have. And God calls us to come back and experience his grace rather than taking pride in our works, rather than taking pride in what I can do or what I've been doing. He says, keep being reminded of this grace that is for you, that I'm here for you. And as we keep receiving that grace when we look at other people, and no matter what they are going through, we automatically have a heart of compassion. Because we realize that they are going through the same things that we have been going through. Their stubbornness is our stubbornness. Their ways are our ways. And we see that and we have compassion. And because of this, no matter where our people are at, we too have a heart when we look at each other. We say, I want to be here for you as well. So as we wrap up our series on Here For You, I want to address as our final part of the series, uh, one thing that often becomes a stumbling block on our way of not only understanding that God is here for us, but us also learning how to be here for one another. And the stumbling block is this. It's those times when we feel like I'm suffering or I'm going through my own issues, my own damages, my own healing things that, or my own wounds that I'm suffering through. So if I am suffering and if I'm not well and I'm not doing well in my life, how can I be here for other people? And automatically our mind, it goes directly towards when I get better, when I feel stronger, when I have more of this, when I have more of these things available, then I will give to other people. Then I will help other people. Then I'll have greater capacity to be able to care for the people around me. But that, those kind of times and those kind of days will rarely come. And the main reason is because as we live in this world, we're always surrounded by sin and our own brokenness. And because we are always surrounded by sin and our own brokenness, we always have with us these wounds that we will carry. There will be never time on this side of heaven where we'll ever be able to say, now I'm strong and I'm able to help other people. Because once we do have that mindset, we are acting by works. We are acting by our own pride. We are acting by our own strength. And God wants us to act by his grace. He calls us to experience his grace and live by it. So I want to wrap up the series by sharing with you a part of my journey. And you'll see what, how this kind of journey unfolded for me. And you'll see how these scriptures kind of fall in line with this kind of revelation that I had along my 35 plus years of walking with Christ. And realizing it's not, at first, it's not what I expected it to be. And as I continue to walk with Christ, what he began to reveal to me what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you first to turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 2b. I'm going to read the end of verse 2 to 3. Then I'm going to skip to verse 7 and then read from verse 7 to 8. This really summarized and highlighted the first part of my journey. 
Look what James says. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Father, I pray as we go through your word, and as we journey through this last part of this series, again, open up our hearts, open up our minds. May we encounter you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As many of you guys already know, and I promise I'll keep this brief, my first encounter with Jesus happened um, when, I, when I turned 15. And then after a year of trying to follow Jesus Christ, I struggled through that year because I promised before I walk away from God, I'm going to give my all. I'm going to do everything possible to give God a chance to reveal himself to me because I felt that this should be true. If God really is who he says he is, then that means that every part of his word must be true. And here in James chapter 4, I found this verse where it says, when you draw near to God, the promise is that he will draw near to you. Since my first kind of exposure to church, since I was a little baby because I was born into the church and then following uh, my parents to church every Sunday up until the age I was 15, I never experienced anything more than just church attendance. It was basically it. Just go to church, hear some stuff that wasn't really relevant to my everyday life, didn't really see how it fit, felt like this was a completely different experience than what I experienced every day in my, in my own life as school with my friends, but it was just a habit that we did. And my questions as I became a teenager began, is this really real? Is religion just religion? Is it just behavior modification? Is what came into my mind? And so at this one youth rally in my church, the, day, uh, the week before school started, the speaker challenged us. I challenge you, if you're in a place where you feel disconnected with God, never experienced God, then I challenge you with this. Dedicate not just this night or not just this moment to uh, Jesus Christ. He says, it's a process. Dedicate a whole year to Jesus. In other words, date Jesus for a year. Draw near to him, and if you draw near to him, the promise that the scripture says is, he will draw near to you. And so at least if you do this, in my mind, I decided, hey, if I do that, then I can walk away from church with integrity. I can walk away from God with this feeling of, I did it, I found it not to be true, and so there's no guilt on my conscience, and if anything happens when I die and God says, hey, I'm real, you didn't follow me, I can point my finger back at him and then said, well, you didn't do your part because I really drew near to you, but you never drew near to me because it was an empty experience. That's what I decided to do when I was 15. The reason why I brought these is these are my evidence that I have, and I was able to keep these. So these started when I was 15. So 15, this is a record of all of my, I guess you can call it diary slash, you know, my time in God's word. Most of it that I written, most of it that I wrote um, when I was doing my devotion, if you read through it, you'll realize it's all heresy. It's all wrong. <laughs> like it's really bad theology, right? As my first year, I didn't know anything and I really thought that you know, I'm drawing near to God, I'm doing this, and I was really excited. This is my first letter 
that I wrote to myself a week after I made that pledge. I'm going to follow Jesus, right? And so this happened September 8, 1992, which is really, I think, before most of you guys were born. I'm not going to read all of it because the first half of it is really lame. It's me trying to be cool to myself after the first week of school and tr trying to, you know, act. And I, when I read it, I was like, oh, man, this is, this is really hard to read, even though it was my own thing. But this is um, the last part of this letter I'm going to read to you because I want you to see the, the changes that happen. This is a week after and me being like, yes, it's going to happen. Me being on this kind of like fire and wanting to expect the best from God. That was my first expectation. My life is going to change. Being a Christian means my life, whole life gets better. And so I'm going to live fully out. I'm going to be sold out for Jesus. And so this is what I wrote. So also some of my prayers are coming true right now. I'm praying that my family becomes, um, uh, comes closer together and I and that I will read my Bible more, stand for Jesus, help me better, uh, help me better my personality, keep my temper, because I have a bad temper, <laughs> encourage others instead of discouraging them, pray in public, understand others, to name a few. Well, that's all I have to say. And then I sign off, see you later, right, to myself. This is me being really positive and saying, yes, my life is going to change. You know, I'm going to do this. God's going to make my life better. And that's what I expected. But this letter comes uh, four months later. And this is the end of December. So Christmas just went by. We had Christmas service um, at church. And I'm not feeling anything. Nothing's changing. Nothing is happening. I just feel like I'm doing stuff. And I started to get discouraged at this point, saying, I thought things were different. I was doing all the right things. I was going to church four days a week during that time. I was reading my Bible. I was, I was praying. I was reading other books. I was listening to the radio, uh, the Christian, uh, uh, Christian sermons on the radio. I was doing everything possible to draw near to God. And this is, this is on December 29th. And I guess I wrote this during a youth, so we had a youth retreat. Um, in, th in that Christmas season. And this is what I wrote. Yesterday I went to a youth rally that will last two more days. And I learned quite a bit yesterday about me. I noticed how most times when I pray and worship or praise God, I do it for my reputation. Sometimes I just do it, uh, do those things to impress others. I hate what I'm doing. In front of my Christian friends, I do it to show how much of a Christian I am. And in front of my non-Christian friends, I become embarrassed and ashamed. The lesson I learned yesterday was called reputation without reality. During the whole service, even when praising and, devote, and, and uh, devoted prayer time, I felt nothing. I couldn't feel anything while others were screaming and crying and shaking while they were praying. I felt nothing. In fact, most of the service I go to and try to praise and thank God, I feel nothing and I can't explain it. I'm trying my hardest to receive the Holy Spirit, but it feels as if I have no heart. There's a great emptiness that I feel inside of my heart. I feel so bad because if I liked a girl, my heart would really pound and I wouldn't be able to get her out of my mind. I'm 15. 
I was thinking about my wife. <laughs> yeah. But towards my Savior, my heart is dead. I really need to feel God's love and power in my heart. But I don't know how to get it. And then I go on. You see, all of this, I thought that as soon as I received Jesus Christ into my life, I thought that the Christian life would be so much better, that there would be happiness that surrounds me. Everything I put my hand to, everything would change. But the first four months, I'm doing everything that God tells me to do. Nothing changes. In fact, it gets worse. My heart and my mind becomes like a desert. I feel God is not really there, not responding. And even when I put myself in environments in which worship is happening and other crowds of people are like crying and having these genuine experiences with God, I feel like the one person who's left out. It's not working for me. I don't know what they have or why God allows them to feel and to experience. And for me, why I feel so empty. It literally felt like nothing as I'm having this kind of experience of, this sucks. I'm probably trying harder than everyone else. Yet for me, I experience nothing. See, I, I continued with this. By God's grace, I continued through this kind of pattern of staying with God, reading through my Bible, and I ended up reading it in uh, the whole Bible throughout uh, one year. I, I kept going to church four days a week, and I kept being involved with all these kind of stuff. School, I created a school Christian club. I began to pray during lunchtime. Like all of these things I was doing, yet nothing is changing in my heart. So finally, as you guys all know, one year later, I decided this is not real. I want to leave. And when I reflect back on that time, I really had one problem with my life. The biggest issue that I had at that time as a teenager was I struggled a lot with feeling insignificant. I think that's why that December, the December 29th uh, letter that I wrote to myself, it was such a devastating experience for me because God knows that I was dealing with insignificance. I felt like there's nothing people know about me, right? All my friends had their thing. This guy was known as a track star. This guy was known as the brilliant person. This person was known as, you know, the womanizer. Everyone liked him, right? And then for me, there was nothing really that I did that stood out. I was average at anything. I could, like, just disappear, and it wouldn't make any difference for anyone. I was, I was seriously dealing with, what's my significance? I felt so out of touch, even with my friends, because we lived in St. Catharines at that time. A lot of our neighbors and all of our friends were mostly white, except when we went to church. But the, my church friends weren't really my everyday friends. And because I felt like I had to be in with the white people whenever I went to church or when I'm trying to hang out with them, they made it very clear to me that I was different. They come to my house and the first thing, oh, what's that smell? Right? And I was, oh, it's something called fermented beans, right? And we make it into a stew. And like, That's disgusting. Why do you eat that? Right? I, I remember everything, our food, our language, everything felt like I'm different from everyone else. This feeling of insignificance got worse, especially because I felt like even among these Christian friends, I was doing my best to please God or to draw close to him, but he was leaving me out. Everyone else, it seemed like they were having that experience except me. And again, I felt like, maybe that's my life. I'm really insignificant. Even to God, I'm insignificant. 
it really was a pain for me as I kind of realized that at that retreat. And I just felt like, what's going on? So by August of the following year, I decided I'm going to walk away from God. And in my bedroom, that's the moment I had my encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, that encounter was significant. And the reason why it was significant, it, it, I knew all these things about God, but until I encountered him and had that real experience with him, and again, this had nothing to do with music, had nothing to do with you know, other, things at, uh, other things at church. It happened in my bedroom, right? When the most emptiest of places where you know, it's so normal, and that's where God shows up and gives me this kind of ecstatic, out of like crazy norm reality experience with him where he reveals himself for the first time. God's presence came into my room. And that's the first time my mind was changed. And I began to realize something new about God. Look at John 3, 6. John 3, 6, it shows us that an encounter with Jesus, it changes everything. Jesus said to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a, uh, was a man in the Bible who was, who was going through a similar hardship in his life. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a teacher of a teacher of the law. And so for him himself, after doing this for many years, he felt disconnect with God. And he said, I don't feel close with God. It's just laws and rules and regulations. Until the point that he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what is it that I'm missing? I'm trying to do all the right things, but I don't feel close to Jesus. And Jesus says this to him, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. It's the same thing that I experienced. I was doing everything in my flesh power, everything that I desired or what I thought that I needed from God. I needed significance from God. I needed God to make me feel significant. That's what I wanted. That's how I wanted to control my relationship with God. This is what I want God to do for me. That's flesh giving birth to flesh. That's me trying to control religion or me trying to control God or me trying to control the outcomes of what I believe is best for me. For a whole year, that's what I was struggling through. And that's the hard things that I was trying to let go of, but I didn't realize that became the idol in my heart. It took that full year of me being in God's word to allow God's word to keep chipping away at that kind of mindset. Because when you're in God's word, you have this heavier weight of what your expectations are and what you want from God and your own timing. All of this is heavy, it's part of your life. It's a lot heavier than suddenly you reading the Bible for 10, 15 minutes a day and expecting that to make a difference or a dent in this huge persona that you've created for yourself. I realized for me, why a year later? Because it took one full year for God's word to penetrate and to begin to reform enough of the pattern of my mind enough of the pattern of my heart because he's introducing to me a new way of perception, a new way of seeing my life, a new way of understanding God rather than what I wanted to dictate or how I wanted to control things. And until that balance became like 51-49, that was the moment 
where there was enough of God's word to outbalance, to outweigh this mindset that I had of this is Christianity and it's not what I expected. Jesus says to Nicodemus, only the spirit can give birth to spirit. In other words, you can't control it. And if you do, and if you try to control it, and it's always on your terms, and we don't know how to follow God and to trust him, even when it goes against our sensibilities, then all we do in our Christian life is always flesh giving birth to flesh. We always just give birth to good intentions. And that's why we feel this dissonance or this disconnection from God. You know, for me, it took that long. If I gave up in December and just said, see, I went to a retreat, see, I gave it four months and it didn't change anything. If I gave up at that time and decided, yeah, draw near to God, it's not real. It's not gonna happen, so I'm gonna quit. Rather than doing that, to keep on asking, you do not receive because you do not ask. And to keep on asking like the persistent widow that we see in, the, in one of the parables that Jesus gives. If I gave up because of my sensibilities at that time, I would have never experienced spirit giving birth to spirit in my life. I would have never experienced this encounter with Jesus that changed everything. It changed my whole perspective. It changed my whole understanding of what my life was and what life is supposed to be about. For the first time, my insignificance wasn't my number one priority anymore. All that time, I wanted God to do something about my insignificance. But after really encountering him, I wasn't holding that out and saying, until you do something about that, you can't be my Lord. For the first time, the way that God changed it, he says, you know how you feel when you're by yourself and you're alone and you just try your best to live your life as normal as possible and you're always with the crowd and, you, and you're trying to fit in and you're doing your part and you're laughing along with them, but inside you feel like you have this out-of-body experience that you don't really belong there. You're just playing a role, but it's not significant. You know that feeling? And I said, yeah, of course I know. That's what I lived. He said, in that same way, there are people among you in your youth, in your school, that experience the same insignificance. See, the first thing, for the first time, what God developed in my heart was a compassion for people who were hurting the way that I was hurting. And rather than me becoming the number one focus of my life, God's presence and encounter with Jesus changed all of that because he was so good and so fulfilling for me and so satisfying to my needs that I didn't need to concern myself with myself anymore. I knew that God loved me so much that he would work out all of my issues. He would help me in my ways, but all I needed to do was focus on what he was calling me to do, and the path of doing what he called me to do would actually result in my healing. Following God or obedience to God took care of my insignificance because it stopped becoming my idol, but as more and more as I did what God was calling me to do, the more and more did I see the power and significance in my life, it began to fade. It began to lose its power in my life because God gave me a new significance in him. 
See, brothers and sisters, this is how God works. We all have our wounds. We all have our hurts. And as long as we keep making that our number one priority before God, and we believe that that needs to be changed before I can do anything else, it remains our idol. It remains our main thing that, that we try to control, uh, that tries to control every part of our life, including our relationship with God. See, I didn't know at that time, but my mind needed to be reformed. It was very simplistic. It was very self-centered, the way that I viewed God. And my first thought about Christianity following Jesus was all about me, me being happy, God meeting my needs, and God taking away my suffering. So whenever I suffered or whenever I had these challenges, I always questioned, is God really real? Because if he is, why am I suffering? If God is all good, why do I have to go through hardships in my life? And then this passage hit me, Isaiah 53, 3 to 5. And look what it's written. You guys all know the passage. You're very familiar with it. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. This was the first time when I, when I saw this passage, I'm like, oh my goodness. It was an eye-opening experience for me where everything in my life that always said what Christianity is about is God making my life better. God making me ha happy. God taking away any suffering or any hardship that I go through. That's what I thought Christianity is. That's what it is. But when I saw this, the person that I'm following and his very life, despite being God, willingly came into a, into a world that is controlled and broken by sin. And him himself suffered the consequences of human sinfulness and the brokenness of our world. This is what he says, this whole thing. He was afflicted. He was punished. He experienced all of this stuff. He was despised by humanity. And the reason why God willingly experienced all of this here on earth, because his mind was on me. His mind was on each and every one of us. What he says to us is, by my wounds, I want you to experience healing. You know, the heart of our Christian faith, the heart of following Jesus is really about wounded healers. That Jesus, despite being wounded and experiencing the affliction of the brokenness of sin that's all around us, despite all of this, his main mindset was, how do I help heal the people of this world? Now, if Jesus himself is the model of our faith, 
and we are supposed to become more like Jesus, more like Jesus in my life, then why do we expect the narrative of our life to be drastically different than what we see Jesus' life to be? Why do we have this narrative that following Jesus or proving that Jesus exists means my life gets happier, stronger, and most satisfied in everything that I have no worries? Why is that our thought? about the Christian life when we see Jesus' modeling of it to be absolutely different. You know, this passage, it helped me come to this, re uh, this revelation. Jesus knows what we are feeling. And because he knows what we are feeling because he experienced the same thing, he has compassion on us. And the model that, model that he set for us is despite our woundedness, we journey alongside people, and we bring healing. But here's the thing. That model of Christianity doesn't feel pleasing. It doesn't feel compelling for any one of us. How many of you would say, yeah, come to Jesus, and you'll experience suffering, and you suffer so that other people suffer less? Like, no one, no one wants that brand of faith. But remember what I said at the very beginning? An encounter with Jesus changed everything for me. His very presence that overwhelmed me on that time when I, when I just turned 16, in my bedroom, I tasted and I saw God is good. I tasted and I saw how good he is for me. And I just wanted more of him, more of Jesus in my life. And the very next thought that came was, I want other people to be able to experience this taste, this encounter of Jesus in their life. That's the gospel that we have because Jesus being in perfect unity with the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven. Knowing what that feels like, knowing how good that is, he wanted the world in, the, in its fullness of its brokenness to experience what he has. So he willingly came, exposed himself to the brokenness of this world, was wounded himself, yet still brought healing so that we may experience who Jesus is. The same community that he has with the Father and the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we can't really understand or be motivated or be drawn to the Christian faith, following Jesus, without that encounter. And this encounter is hard because you cannot control it. It's spirit giving birth to spirit. And once it does, we automatically begin to live with those kind of priorities, to want more of Jesus, to have compassion on the people who are around us and wanting to walk alongside of them despite our own wounds because we can entrust our own woundedness to God as he heals us as we walk along with him. That's the Christian life. That's why it's so good. So how do we get to that encounter? I want to encourage you. He says the wind, he said the same thing to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it wishes, so it is with God's spirit. 
You have to be in God's word. And as God's word begins to convict your heart, you follow the lead of God's spirit. Just do it. Follow it. And then it'll lead you to other things and to other things. And as you keep following, when your heart is ready, just like it took a year for my heart to become ready, but when your heart is ready, spirit would give birth to spirit in your life. You will encounter the living God. Don't give up. Don't give up midway. Keep following so that you may have that encounter with Jesus that changes everything. Let's pray. So Father, we like to lift up this time to you. And we want to make that our prayer too. That we want more of Jesus in our life. We want that encounter, Lord. I pray, Father, Lord, that you'd help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Lord, there are a lot of people here who have been longing for more of you. I pray that you'd use this time to hear their prayer. And for hearts, even though we may not feel it, but we want it to happen, will you bring birth to spirit in their life, Lord? Not through our own efforts or our goodness, but by your spirit. So brothers and sisters, I just want to invite you to just spend your time with God right now opening up your heart and just saying, Lord, I want to listen to you, I want to hear you, and I want to let you in. Let's pray.